Well, it's good to be in worship together today, and I've been, uh, I was thinking this week, I've been really struggling with some seeing issues, and I realized that I've always had trouble with my vision, like as long as I can remember. I remember being in first grade and feeling like, I can't really see. And so by the time I was in second grade, my mom took me to the eye doctor, and I got my first pair of glasses. I think actually we have a picture of uh, my very first pair of eyeglasses. <laughs> Don't I look happy? Like, hey, I can see. And I, th- and I think my mom cut my hair or something. You know, I don't know what happened there. But, um, you know, by fourth grade, I got new glasses. It felt like every year my, wor- my eyes got worse and worse and worse. So by fourth grade, I had, uh, was rocking a new pair of glasses that were pretty styling, let me tell you. Uh, you can go to that one there. Yeah, they just kept getting better. Um, you know, we'd go into the, the eye store, the guy in Norristown, and they'd have like, by price, here are the glasses. I'd walk into this end and my mom would walk to this end, you know, and she'd be like, I think these are great. I was like, but all the kids are wearing this one, you know. Uh, by eighth grade, or seventh grade, I think it was in the 80s, and um, I, I just kept getting cooler. I'm telling you, it's true. It was definitely cooler. You can go to the next one. I think you have to have a lot of confidence to stand here and actually put that on a big screen. Um, By eighth grade, though, that was the last year that I had to um, wear glasses to school because I got contacts for the first time. And so after that, you can take that down now. That's good. That's good. Um, by, By that time, you know, but I would go in and by that time, by that last picture there, my eyesight was so bad. I would sit down in the doctor's chair and, uh, you know, they'd say, okay, look at the chart. And I'd be like, wait, where's the chart? <laughs> you know, I mean, they actually said without corrective lenses, I was legally blind. I really just couldn't see. And um, I actually had this recurring nightmare as a kid that I was going to somehow like be, I don't know, bullied, put in a prisoner of war camp or something, or aliens were going to come. Somebody was going to steal my glasses. And then I, was, I just felt like this anxiety about not seeing clearly. But by the time I got into my mid-20s, late 20s, I guess, it's kind of settled in and I felt like, okay, I can see pretty clearly. Um, But then I'm not sure what happened, but I'm not kidding. On my 40th birthday, I woke up and I sat down to read and I realized I cannot see. And I'm sitting here trying to read the book and figure it out, and and I just couldn't see. At that time, I was wearing um, a pair of of old glasses that looked like they were from the year 2000. You know, I had a pair of, like, uh, wire frames, and uh, I went to the eye doctor, and he said, well, you know, just get some dollar store frames. So I got a pair of those. And then they said, well, I think as you age... Your eyes, you know, need more moisture, so they gave me a different kind of contacts. And then, um, so every room in the house, the car, I think you can relate, some of you, everywhere, dollar store glasses, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Regular glasses for when I wake up in the morning, new contacts because I didn't want to have to wear glasses all the time. And then by 45, I was like, I still can't see. And so I went to the doctor and they said, oh, well, what you need is a new pair of glasses that have these, you know, super, um, like now we make them so clear. And so I got these glasses that I'm wearing today with ultra-thin lenses, they had progressive lenses, but if I wanted to wear contacts, they said, well, you're going to still have to wear another pair to be able to read over that. And then I'd sit at my computer and I couldn't see, so I got another pair of Foster Grants that were like, oh, this is cool, multi-focus. I can see here, I can see there, I can see you when you're sitting at my desk and I can read my computer. So, pretty great. Kind of settles in. 
Well, this past year I turned 50 and I realized I can't see. So a couple uh, months ago, I go to the eye doctor and I said, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, these glasses aren't that old. How old are they? Six years. That's old. Okay. That explains why I have to read like this so that I can see. And um, the uh, doctor said, no problem. We can fix that problem. You need different contacts. So we got different contacts that I'll throw away every day that will make my eyes healthier. And you need new glasses to read when you get out of bed so that you can see all of that. And, well, we had these new computer glasses, so I got those. And back to my dollar store glasses, because they are the ones that actually work. And uh, then I got glasses so that I can read while I have my contacts on. And finally, a pair of prescription sunglasses so that I can drive and read for the GPS at the same time. Somehow, between a dollar and $450 a pair, I still can't see. I still am like, okay, which one? And I, I used to laugh at, you know, I don't know, when I was a kid, it felt like old men did this. They'd have a pocket protector with a pair of glasses, and they'd wear a pair of glasses, and they'd have a pair on their head, and then they'd always be switching, and you'd say, can you read this? And they'd be like, just a moment, let me get this pair. And I was like, what is the matter with you? And I am that person. I, 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 just, I just couldn't, I can't even believe it, how hard it is to see clearly. And I have to say that over the last few months, first of all, I'm frustrated because I've spent a lot of money, can't really see, and really frustrated because it is exhausting when you can't see clearly. You know, I, I've, I realize partway through the day, I'm like squinting. And no matter how I adjust them and which pair I try, my neck's starting to hurt because I'm trying to figure out. I've raised my computer. You know, I've gone through all these different things. Some days I sit down to read and I just think, forget it. Let me listen to an audio book. It's too hard. <laughs> um, and sometimes at the risk of sounding melodramatic, it almost feels a little hopeless. I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to get this fixed. It's so frustrating not to be able to see clearly. And I got thinking as I was in God's word this week, and this scripture popped up as part of my devotional time. And it made me think, actually, it's more frustrating when I can't see clearly the direction that God wants me to go. As frustrating it is as it is not to be able to see crystal clear physically, it's even more frustrating when I feel like I just don't know the direction I'm supposed to go in. And um, I've, got, I've been thinking, you know, we've been to some grad parties recently. How many of you recently graduated from college or high school, right? Okay, so you have a graduation party. What's the first question everybody asks you? So what are you doing now? So what's the next, what, where are you going to school? What's your, are you getting a job? What's the next thing that's happening? Um, and, and we ask general questions like, should I take you know, go on for further education? Should I join the military? Should I take a job? Maybe you graduate from college and you can't get a job in the field that you owe tens of thousands of dollars to and you have to take a job somewhere else. You know, and there's this general feeling of like, I'm not sure what the next step is. Or specific direction where we're asking, I know I'm going to go to college, but I don't know which college to go to. Or I know, um, you know, I'm going to go there, but I don't know if I should room with someone I know or don't know. Or maybe you're in a season of life and you're thinking, I'm actually kind of disappointed in the direction of my life. You know, by this point in my life, I thought I was going to be in a whole different place. And I thought, you know, when I, when I stand before God, I'm, I'm actually feeling like I'm getting ticked. 
And you can say, you know, my life just isn't working out the way that I planned. I thought I'd be married by now, but I'm still single. We thought we were going to have kids by now, but it's looking like we're maybe not even able to conceive. I was sure that we would have settled, I just settled on a satisfying career, but right now I don't even have a job, and let alone one that I could say I love. Or, you know, I'm in my 70s, and I thought by now I'd have financial freedom. But, but um, I'm, you know, when I finally retired, I realized now I don't have the funds or I've got a debilitating, you know, physical issue or my spouse does and it's colored and changed everything and I'm just not sure I can see clearly. And then somebody tosses out a tired old cliche like God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and you're like, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm pretty sure that everybody here this morning has a place where you're thinking, I just need some direction. And my hope is that as we turn to our text in a minute, that the Holy Spirit will speak. So would you pray with me before we go any further? Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you'd speak to us. I mean, we've already sung uh, songs that have powerful truths in them as as we worship together. We've celebrated your power over sin and death. We've acknowledged that you can do anything and nothing is impossible. We've, We've sung that we can rest in your promises because you're faithful and you're good. But Holy Spirit, while we may agree with our words and maybe you know, agree in our mind uh, that those things are true. We confess that we come to you this morning with some very specific questions on our mind and um, maybe some decisions we need to make today, this week, for this next season of life that we're just unsure about. So would you just speak? Maybe it's going to be one, maybe it's one word that we'll take away from this morning that we can say, I can rest in your promises. I can trust you. So would you open our ears so we can hear your voice, open our eyes to see your bigger perspective so we can fit our lives into your bigger story. Amen. The text this morning is one that if you've gone to church, uh, you've probably heard many times. It's a familiar passage. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. But that raises the question, what is his will? What do we mean when we say, you know, well, we're looking for God's will. And I think by looking at this passage, if we just isolate this passage alone, we really do get the sense that he must be talking about our own personal lives. And, and on one sense, it's true that um, however, you know, however we look at that, you keep seeing the word you or your, and we realize that if we trust in the Lord with our own heart, if, you know, that he will direct our paths. However, if we look at the larger picture that scripture is... Um, like the picture that scripture is drawing, we realize that it in, overall it shows us about what the will of God is. And that's only one aspect of it. 
So this morning, I just want to take a quick look at three different aspects of God's will. Um, And because his bigger plan was set in motion long before we ever even showed up on the planet, God was already at work doing things and, and had a plan from the beginning to the end that we, um, we, you know, that was here before we came and will be here after we left. The first aspect of God's will is what some would term his providential will or, or the sovereign will of God. The providential will of God is his unchangeable plan for all creation throughout history, which no one can stop and is far bigger than the plan for my personal life. We can see this concept in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Uh, It says this, His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him and no one can say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? You see, God's providential will includes all the things that God is going to do or God has already done throughout the course of eternity that he's going to do no matter what. There's, it's, not, um, it's completely dependent on God's action, completely dependent on what he does, what he chooses, what happens is, is bigger than anything that I can ever choose So it doesn't matter. There are things that he's going to do that don't depend on what I think. It doesn't matter what, um, whether I'm obedient or I'm disobedient. It doesn't matter if I pray or I don't pray. It's not about um, my my prayers or my lack of prayers. Um, There's no one. There's no thing. There's no person. There's no government that can stop the providential will of God. So that has made me think, what, does, what is the providential will of God? What is the big story that God has been writing, overarching all of creation? And why is it that, he, you know, sometimes he just steps into history and makes things happen. He will step in and use godly people and ungodly people to accomplish his purposes, the scripture says. Though he often does that, um, if someone chooses not to follow when he steps in, then he'll find someone else and make it happen. So what is the big story plan of God that overarches all of creation? Well, it includes a couple pieces. For example, he created people to be in relationship with him. I mean, we, we can't make that happen. We can't stop that from happening. He simply decided from the beginning of time that he would be in relationship with human beings. He's on a mission to redeem a lost and broken world. So he sent Jesus Christ to earth in human form so that through his death and resurrection, human beings could be reunited and in relationship with him. Um, God's, one of his overriding purposes is to draw people to himself because his goal is that we would become like him. Um, Some of the things that are part of his providential will are things that haven't yet happened but will. We say this when we say some of the creeds we say. We might say the Apostles' Creed or some of the um, liturgy that we use within the church because one day Jesus will return 
and ultimately Satan will be defeated. One day, every single one of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives and our actions. And we will have to you know, stand before him whether, and he will judge whether we have belonged to him or not. And one day we will see him face to face. What we can now only dimly see, what we can only see parts of through unclear lenses, one day the scripture says it will be crystal clear. And all the things that we didn't understand and couldn't make sense of begin to fall into place because God has been writing a bigger story. The grander story of God's plan has tons of details that seem mysterious to us. We may see it on the backside where we look and we think, I don't understand why this happened or that happened or why didn't this happen or why did I, I made this choice, I thought I followed God and why didn't, you know, why didn't this person you know, do what I thought was going to happen? How did I misunderstand God's will? It's not necessarily that we've misunderstood. It's that he's doing things we cannot see. And he's working in, in ways to accomplish the bigger call for all of, of humanity to draw him to himself. So whether it's things that have already happened or are going to happen in the future, even if he were to try to explain it, we would find ourselves saying, I, I don't understand what you mean. You know, Jesus told parables often when he was teaching, and he would go to explain it, and the disciples would sometimes say, I don't, I don't understand what you mean. And sometimes you can almost see his frustration when he would say, how, did you, how do you not hear me? Listen, open your ears and listen to what I'm saying. You know, God who is all-knowing can see the past, the present, and the future. And so he's writing this bigger story about the saving relationship that he's provided for all men and women who, want to, who choose to follow him. And um, he can intervene into the natural events of history. He can move nature or people or governments so that it will fall into his will. The second part of God's will, though, is his moral will. Some people will talk, talk about that like as um, the part of God's will that is very clearly seen as we read scripture. So the providential will of God, we can see maybe characteristics of, we can see the grander story of, but the moral will of God is that which, if you pick up your Bible, you can discover. He says some things very clearly. For example, um, well, let me, let me say what it says up there, um, that in his moral will is what God wants us to do and not to do, as revealed to us in the Bible. It's the way that he's showing us how to live a holy life. The Ten Commandments are a great you know, um, expression of that. The Ten Commandments make it very clear. This is, God says, do this, do this, don't do that. Um, it's also in, uh, in 2 John verse 1, verse 6, he talks about this is love. If we walk in obedience to his commands, then that's our demonstration of love to him. And this aspect of God's will is where we actually do have influence, where our actions really matter because whether we're obedient or disobedient puts us in the place to be able to hear about the rest of the things that, that God is doing. When we're trying to figure out the direction for our lives, we can be confident that God will never lead us to act contrary to what he's already said in the Bible. You know, if he's already explained what to do or not to do in Scripture, he's not going to say, well, I've said do not steal. 
But in this case, you, sh- you could go ahead and do that. I mean, we don't have to pray about it. We don't need some great sign from God. Should I steal this? You know, should I cheat on my taxes? Should I, you know, um, we can look at those things and we don't even have to ask the question. God has been very clear to say, this is the expectation so that you can be in a, a growing and free relationship with me. God's word gives us all the information we need to know about how to obey him, how to handle money, how to treat people. And um, he has given us those things in, in, in some ways that are so clear that I'm thinking that it looks to me almost like there's like 90% of what God wants is very clear. You know, between the fact that God has this overarching goal, this overarching plan for people to come to know him, for us to be in relationship with him, and then he gives the specifics. The part that gets us, gives us angst is that 10% part where it doesn't say, Ann Hansen, this is how you will see better. Go to this doctor, you know, buy this pair of glasses. Our questions about direction really come when we can't see the specifics, but you know, we're looking and we say, okay, I know that God's plan is that I would honor my parents. But God, what does that mean when, you know, your dad needs more care than you can give and you have to ask the question, should he move in with me or should we look into a nursing facility? Should he stay in his home or should we make a change? Or, hey, I've had a really bad relationship with my dad and I don't understand what it means to honor my father and yet have boundaries for someone who constantly... Um, is toxic in my life. We ask specific questions like, should I marry this person, buy this car, that car? Do I start a business with that person? Do I stay in Pennsylvania or do I take this job that's offered to me in Maryland? This is what we would call the third part of God's will, his personal will. God's plan for our personal lives. And scripture also demonstrates that this is a part of what God is trying to reveal to us as we're in relationship with him. He said in Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophets to the nations. In Luke 12.7, he, he says like, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So he knows the details of our lives and he longs to explain and share those things with us as we're in relationship. They're real questions, and God does care. He delights in giving us direction. However, we often spend so much time trying to get direction about the details of our life that we miss out on some of the key principles. First of all, God's ultimate will in my life is that I would know him deeply and trust him more and more as I grow in my relationship with him. That takes time. It's why we call it a journey. It takes a continual discovering of what his big picture will is, his providential will is. It takes time in understanding what does he really already say in his word and how do I really know and become obedient to his moral will. I was reading this week a book by Andy Stanley and uh, it's called Discovering God's Will. And he talked about it this way, I thought it was very clear. The more familiar you are with the providential will of God and the more obedient you are 
to the moral will of God, the easier it will be to discover the personal will of God for your life. So often as, as we continue to look for direction in our life, we start at the bottom. We start with, tell me the personal will that you have for me. Show me what to do in this situation. But we've, we're looking at it upside down. We really should be starting from the top, that we develop a lifestyle that is constantly looking at the bigger picture of what God is doing, that we can trust that there are certain things that he is doing, that he's drawing, that he's working, and that he's moving. And that gives us the trust to be able to obey the, the things that he's already laid out in scripture. Then when we can come to him and say, I'm doing all of the things that I already know. I'm, I, as far as I can understand, I have as much as insight into this as possible. Then God begins to speak about the specific things. In other words, the more obedient I am to, to what I do know that God wants, the easier it is to get direction in the areas where I don't know what he wants. So often we're trying to ask him to, you know, ask for direction and he's saying, but you're not being obedient. You're not, you're you're not following the things I've already said. And as we do, and as we, we um, follow the things that he's already revealed to us, then we begin to understand better the things that we don't know. Because ultimately our trust or our confidence isn't even in the decision. We come with the question about direction for our lives. You know, go back to the question, should I get married? Do I buy a house? Do I take the job? My confidence isn't in that thing. My confidence is in the one in whom I trust. God's not trying to get me to the place where I can just do, make the right decisions, but he wants to develop a relationship with us where we can make not just one decision, but we're able to find freedom and ease in making more and more of the decisions in our life. Because you know what happens. You ask the question, well, do I buy this house or not? Do I rent? Do I buy? Do I buy the house? You feel like, oh, good. We figured this out. We're going to buy the house. But that's not the end of the question, you know, because, or the end of the conversation. Because as soon as you buy the house, now you figure out, uh, how am I going to pay to replace the roof? Do we add on an addition? Do we, you know, do we sell and downsize at this season of life? And all of those questions aren't settled in one decision. But the process that God is trying to develop in the people who are following him are, is the process of knowing him so well and following him so well in the areas that we do understand that when we, don't, we do have a question, he can give us confidence in making those decisions. The house issue, the job issue, the health issue, the finance issue. That's not the point. Knowing Jesus and seeing Jesus in the process is actually why God leads us through the decision-making process to begin with. I think we want proof that God's, you know, that this, tell me for sure, for sure, for sure that this is going to work when I go to make a decision. And, and God is saying, you know, That's not the point. The essence of faith is getting to the place where I can say, even though I cannot see, I trust you. And I'm not going to ask for proof first and then act, but I'm going to be obedient and act, and then I'll see the paths becoming straight. 
Like going back to Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. In the Amplified Bible, it says it this way. Trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know and acknowledge. Stay focused. Stay riveted on him. And as you recognize him, he will make your paths straight. God's desire is that we would be focused or riveted on him in every area of our life. Not just the areas where we need direction right at this minute. Then when we come up to a situation where we really do need some specific guidance, if we've already been doing the things that we know to do in the other areas of our life, if we've been walking in purity, we've been handling our money his way, we're doing relationships with people his way, he promises to make his direction clear. And he doesn't want us to miss that. But before you go, I think you want to have some practical tools. And I have kept this list in the front of my Bible because sometimes in making a decision, I've just kind of had a mental checklist to say, have I really sought everything that God is, is doing um, behind the scenes before I go ahead and make a decision? First of all, how do we put ourselves in the place to hear God's direction? First of all, we do that by developing a posture of surrender. A posture of, yes, Lord. God knows our heart, and if we're actually ready to be obedient or not. You know, he knows. Are we just looking for his suggestion so that we can add it to the list of other suggestions that we've been mulling around in our mind? Or are we ready to be obedient if we ask? Are we actually going to listen? And so developing a posture that says, um, have your way in this. However you decide to answer, Lord, I want to follow that more than I want the decision. Secondly, we put ourselves in the place to hear God's direction when we regularly read the Bible. I mean, I'm sure you expect to hear that. It's the answer almost to every question. But it is a major component in knowing Jesus and learning how to make wise decisions. As we regularly put ourselves in God's word, we begin to understand his way of thinking, we begin to see the big picture. We begin to understand his moral will and what he says, you know, his commandments are. But I find that by being regularly in God's word, we also just get a sense of security in his presence, the reminder that we belong to him. Um, third, practice obedience. You know, we develop our spiritual muscles by being obedient in the small things. In the places where God has already given clear direction, as we're obedient in those places, God then begins to open up new things. Um, we also can put ourselves in the place to hear God's direction by seeking godly advice. You know, wise people spend time with wise people. And someone said to me recently, hey, I'm wondering if we can spend some more time together because I need some friends who will help me make good decisions from the start, not just be there to pick up the pieces on the other end of a bad decision. And I thought, you know, that, that's really true, that we don't want to surround ourselves only with people who are in the same boat as we are, struggling in areas of, of our lives. We need to be with some people who have already come to the other side, that they can help sometimes give wise counsel and advice. 
um, another way that we can put ourselves in a place to hear God's direction is to simply pause and wait on God and talk to him honestly. Years ago, a wise friend told me that he had slowed down his decision-making process to leave space between making a decision and actually saying it out loud. I found that to be really helpful. Even if it's just a 24-hour period, when, you, when I feel in my mind, okay, I think this is the decision. Everything else looks clear. To give a little bit of space and to be able to say, Lord, when I get to bed, you know, as I get in bed tonight, if you want to change anything, would you wake me up tonight and talk to me? Would, would I wake up in the morning with, with a, you know, a, a clearer picture of something different? If I don't hear any other hesitation, then I'm going to make the decision. So the final step would be to say, just go for it. As you seek God's direction, the, you know, make the best decision you can and leave the results to God. This is the most beautiful thing about a relationship with God. Because even if, after the whole process, the results aren't what we thought they would be, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 is still true. I love how it says it here in the message version. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go because he is the one who will keep you on track. As we close today, I want to give you a little bit of space to think about how do these things apply to your life. The ultimate question when it comes to getting clear direction from God, the question really is, what are you really looking for? Are you looking for the answer? Are you looking for the specific direction for a current dilemma? Or are you looking for a deeper, richer relationship with God? You know, he isn't playing some cat and mouse game or trying to play hide and seek with you where you don't know what to do. Because, like I said, there will always be other questions, always be other dilemmas. But if you get in the habit of looking full into the face of Jesus, if you get to know his heart, it stops the roller coaster ride of, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know, how to, I don't know what decision to make. There comes a peace that settles within us when we look at his will and our life and that intersects. I've found that it gets easier to find God's direction when I get to the place where I can honestly say, no matter what you tell me to do, I'll do it. No matter, you know, if there's something you ask me to stop, I'll stop. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I will follow and obey because I want you more than I want the answer. Sometimes our prayers can sound like, Lord, I'll be content if you say, buy the house or keep renting. I'll trust you if I get healthy or if I continue in sickness. I won't, I won't, you know, um, give up following you, whether I get married or I stay single, if I have kids, if I don't have kids, because what I really want is you. This is why broken people, I think, have an easier time discerning the will of God and hearing his direction. 
Because sometimes it's when we get to the end of our rope and we realize that not all of our decisions have been good decisions, that we finally realize that we can't control the outcomes of a lot of things that happen in our lives. And God has our undivided attention that we can see clearly who he is and what he says and have direction. The worship team is going to sing a song that just keeps running through my mind. And I'm going to ask you to just listen as they sing. And ask God, in the specific areas where you're looking for direction, Lord, help me see you. Help me seek your face. I mean, it's a simple message. There's no... Um, complicated question about what it means when we read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord in everything. Don't just lean on your understanding, but in every area, develop a habit, develop a posture of surrender. And then whether God grants what we looked for or not, we can rest that he is working. Rest in his provision. Rest in his clear direction. So last night, I, uh, oh, yesterday morning I actually called the eye doctor and I was like, okay, I, I'm sick of this. I've been really frustrated the last couple weeks. So I go to the eye doctor And I actually bring my little bag. I'm like, look at all these things. None of them are working. And so the eye doctor checked, make sure the prescription's right. You know, I just had like new contacts and four new pairs of glasses. And she said, you know, can I show the glasses that you just bought to our manager? Because she just knows. She's going to look at that and see what the problem is. They bring it out to the manager and the manager looks at it and She puts it, she's standing at the window looking at it. And she said, well, I can see exactly what's wrong with these two pairs, these glasses. They they weren't seated right. And they, and the spot where the transition's supposed to happen, supposed to be over here. And it's supposed to be a 22 and it's not a, not a 43. And I don't know what she's talking about. But she's, all I can say is, take them back. I'm good. Let me write the answer for you. Take them back to where you got them and let them replace them. You'll be able to see just fine. I walked out of there and I thought, why is it sometimes that we do that? We walk around with frustration for a long time and we, we just keep saying, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the answer is. And when we put ourselves at the master's feet, he says, I got you. I will lead. I will guide. Look full into my face. And the things of earth, you know, they'll just grow strangely dim they'll fade away because although they matter that's not where life is come to me i'm the master i can show you what to do encourage you this week as you go ask god for his direction go to the master ask him to show you clearly and he'll do it
because he loves you. Have a great week. Glad you came to church today. See you next Sunday.